0: Content warning. Today's episode of So Many Books, So Little Times contains references, obviously, to death, um, to suicide, to some rather nasty mentalities and abusive behavior, earwax, long story, and uh, other bodily functions which may be disturbing to some
1: listeners. Hey, hey, folks, Dave here. Andrew. And welcome to So Many Books, So Little Time. Uh, Please join us for more of Catch-22 by Joseph Heller with Chapter 11, Captain Black. How is it going, Rue? Uh, appar- apparently, it's a lot quieter down your way today.
0: <laughs> yeah, someone decided to. So we had our neighbors building a, a something, awnings or something on their roof, which was noisy for a few days. But then other neighbors decided we're going to knock down our house. So there has been a lot of noise in oh, my little neighborhood, and um, I'm I'm a bit I'm sound sensitive at the best of times, same, especially same. when my hearing's being a bit funny. So yeah, it, it's been a very noisy kind of thing. So I finally invested in um, noise-cancelling headphones, thanks to the involvement of a friend of mine.
1: <sighs> yes. it, it's, it's funny. It's uh, I find that I don't even need necessarily the noise-cancelling ones. Um, I have... Just some nice over-the-ear ones that I bought Mm -hmm. for um, purposes of playing games and watching movies on my PC, and just what even when I'm not listening to anything and I have them on, the sound dampening is quite remarkable. Of course, because they are over-the-ear headphones, and they are some form of uh, leather or faux leather, or you know, it's 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 a black uh, heavy material. They're only comfortable to wear for long periods of time right in the middle of winter, thanks yes, to Yes, there's Australia. the downside of the heat, yeah. Of, um, course, of course, you, you yeah. talked about sound, and we've got new next-door neighbors in my apartment complex who, they have a very young child, maybe two. I definitely hear two two young people, and there's a fairly newborn baby it sounds like who does cry a lot of the time all Aww. hours of the day and it seems like where, they where, can't help it. where my <laughs> bedroom in this complex is it's kind of right parallel to their living room windows <laughs> oh, <laughs> plus the backyard be...
0: yeah 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 so it's, i it's... i've
1: i've been yeah. having to um adapt to the noise of uh, a very boisterous uh, young family.
0: It it does get a bit intense, but at the same time, it's, it's, there's a, there's, I kind of, I have this problem with noise. And at the same time, I'm like, it's so nice to know there's life out there. People are, you know, interacting and existing and trying to do their thing in life. But yeah, it's noisy, man. Life is noisy. And, 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 uh, And, and so
1: much of it seems, um, oh, now I'm trying to search for the word. Um, the only one that's coming to mind is inappropriate, but it doesn't, doesn't quite convey what no, I'm thinking of. I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, people incidental? people who watch music videos on their speaker oh. on their phones in public or, you know, uh, people <laughs> who have loud conversations over Bluetooth or. Yeah.
0: To be fair, I think there's also a lot, of, lot more hearing issues that don't get picked up. A lot more hearing issues that don't get picked up, and that's probably contributing to it. People um, allowing no their dogs
1: afford... to bark at all hours of the day. I, I love I... dogs dearly, but uh, you know you, you you've got you've got to make sure your uh, your beautiful puppy is um, not bored and <laughs> well disciplined.
0: Yes, and well, or anxious, and given some space. It's it's yeah. We, yes, so basically we're we're both fairly sensitive, and I the the thing is I can sometimes not hear my own volume, oh. because my hearing sometimes is uh sometimes hyperacusis, so sometimes I hear everything, super hearing, and other times it's like <laughs> I am walking around in cotton wool with my ears, or is just knocked out. We 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 just uh, yeah. So I get hearing tests every couple of years, and we hmm. try and track that. It's part of my my group of conditions has a a chance. I should probably I can probably mention it because it is apparently awareness month for our group of conditions. Although I have issues with the way that awareness is usually raised for this.
1: You, you know on that on many the many hearing reasons. on that yeah. hearing front yeah. Like I've always had. Uh, very, very sensitive hearing, very mm. good hearing. Um, because it's been so good, I've never really, you know, what I consider blasting music when I was a teenager Teenager was uh, very quiet compared to uh, my contemporaries. Yes. So so I, I don't think I suffer from, like, I think my roommates and a lot of my friends suffer from either tinnitus or hearing loss based on how. So I've
0: got the tinnitus and I have the, the, the fluctuating hearing loss. Mm. but. When people used to borrow my headphones, they were confused because for me, I'm like, oh, they're really loud. And they're like, I've got them at max volume. I don't understand how you think this is loud. I'm going, it's loud for me.
1: <laughs> but, but the weird thing, um, the yeah. weird uh, kink in my ear troubles is that I have, and, and I, I guess, okay, this is going to get a little gross, so I apologize. Yes. I have abnormal earwax production. So even if I treat them, I tend to get like blockages and then I get very dampened here. And actually at the moment, my left ear is permanently blocked um, and I've been treating it with drops and syringes and things like that. I, I don't like to go to the doc. I used to go to the doctor like every six months to get them flushed out. But then I learned that that can be quite damaging to your ears. Um and I've started doing it myself over the past five years to a decade and with varying results. Um, yeah, but too. but, it's funny, my um, my mom tends to think this is because I had a lot of ear infections when I was a kid. But she also says that the reason I probably got a lot of ear infections was when we went on vacation, which, you know, my parents were affluent. So I was able to do a, that a lot as a kid. I would always, like even in the middle of winter, went to a hotel, I would jump in the freezing cold pool. Just loved it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that, that I don't, I'm not sufficiently versed in order to have an opinion on mm-hmm. whether that does or doesn't contribute. I think, in terms of earwax production, there's genetics, there's also structure the canals, ear structure can contribute. And I, ima- I imagine
1: your ear canals are one of those things where everyone's probably got a little bit of a different shape.
0: Oh, everyone's got slightly different shape. That's not the issue. It's more that if you've got a particularly narrow one or like particularly loose one, if you get swelling from your sinuses, for example, if you get congested, that will throw off your ear- hearing as well. It's just this... this we are complicated creatures, and it's mm-hmm. fascinating. And I have said that before on the podcast, but at the same time, it can be fa- we can be fascinating and frustrating in equal parts.
1: Because yeah. I think, at least with this podcast, with its two co-hosts, i.e. us, we've both uh, been reminded throughout our lives of the limitations of our unique physiology.
0: Yeah, you just kind of, you, yeah, you work with it, you work with what you got, you try and adapt and seek adaptations to work better but it's it's not always that easy and to cope but yes there's some interesting things that can happen but that's why I, it's funny that i can't always tell how loud i am
1: mm. well well yeah one uh, when, when my ear is blocked that's an issue for me um also because i'm an american and americans <laughs> tend to uh when we're impassioned or we want to win an argument or even just yeah j- just randomly we will uh, raise our volume.
0: I will say I am one of four kids growing up so that will probably also have contributed. And my family parts of my family are not known for their volume control. So yeah so this 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 various situations but yes. Yeah we were just getting into the podcast uh, preparing like oh yeah today's chapter is Captain Black. I'm like oh yeah Captain Black. Wait, not is it not Ethan? from
1: um, Invasion of the Mysterons.
0: No 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 Captain Black from cat Train too. We're going wait isn't that the Nazi or the Nazi sympathizer or the 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 guy who was upset that people weren't, whatever he was suspicious of people not being supportive of the ideologies of Hitler which he actually related to and we were just going probably. Oh no! This I is going to be a chapter.
1: I think it, it was him. What was it? Was basically he he praised uh, Hitler's reaching out of anti-American sentiment.
0: Yes, that's what it was, and it was disturbing.
1: Yeah, and... when when you dig into what he likely meant, very disturbing. Well,
0: anything, and he was and he was an intelligence officer.
1: Right. he was, Wasn't he the one who went undercover at the, the, the question and answer seminars to see what was yeah, up Yeah, I think them?
0: that was part of it. And they all knew, and that didn't go down so well. Because
1: we were also discussing when we were trying to remember who Captain Black was, when Rue said, hey, we should be recording this, <laughs> yes. uh, is that, you know, we've talked about how uh, timeline-wise, okay, it's very hard to keep... Everything in your head when the chapters are just pinging around, you know, basically you could almost make the joke that this is a spiritual book because it does not operate on linear time. It kind of sees the whole and then it bounces around. It's divorced from how we humans perceive time. But despite that, which is confusing enough in its own right, we've got a cast of characters in the dozens.
0: Yeah, it's too many people, man. I can't like I'm, I'm, I'm. Then again, Anne of Green Gables. So, I should be okay with lots and lots of characters, but apparently, apparently, this one it's it's because the time, there's no, uh, the the um what's it the the time is just all over the place, mm. and that number of characters is just a lot. There is a lot going on.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so I mean, I mean. May, uh, my thought process, like, okay, uh, when we read last chapter, the one on, I'm trying to remember who it was about.
0: It was... um oh, Wintergreen. We asked Wintergreen, but really it was about them. Well, it was, it was about a bunch of things. But, but um, the main interaction, or I would say the key interaction, was Dunbar and Dr. Stubbs' interaction about Bologna, yes. Bologna.
1: But the bits about Wintergreen, I remember, yeah, I think I was only a few pages in when you were like, hold up. And you you went back and kind of chronicalized ev- all the different elements that we'd gone through, even in the, just that few pages. Now, I mm. have to imagine that the listeners out there... I'm thinking that that's beneficial because I think he, a lot of you would be just as confused as Rue and I are, and and it's grateful. You might be grateful that we stop and go. Okay, okay, what actually happened there? Because you know, when I tend to read, I just tend to barrel yeah. through. It, it's up to Rue to go. Whoa, well, hold up, Dave. We 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 need to break this down. <laughs>
0: It's like what just happened. Um, I mean, the the one thing is that we know that they're trying to be pushed to to go to Bologna, which is a sui- well, it's a suicide mission. It's a suicide mission because the the, the bombers fly lower than the fighter jet or well, the fighting planes, and and they the fighter jets or fighter planes keep missing it. Not jets, but you know what I mean. The fighter planes keep missing the target, so they're trying to get the bombers to get involved, and they're just no. And anyway, so it's a mess. And it's an ammunition dump. And they're like, get rid of the ammunition dump. You can, uh,
1: and, I mean, as a kid, have you eaten bologna? It's suicide uh, in itself. That's
0: a whole thing. So in Australia, this is going to be completely sidetracking off the reserve. Today. I know where you're so going to. Yes. So in in Australia, bologna, Bologna, bologna so that the, the processed meat, also known as Devonshire ham, also known as bologna, is referred to
1: often as baloney. Well, that's the American. See, I know it as Devon because you said Devon Sherhan.
0: Yes, but no, wait for it. So depending on, (laughs) I I, I like to follow, um, uh, like I like to hear from indigenous voices. Yep. I like to amplify indigenous voices where possible. I, I watch Blackfella Twitter, not to, it's not for entertainment purposes, it is for learning purposes. Uh, and I don't mix myself into where I don't belong. like it's it's there's, there's things like amplify the voices, try not to you know my opinions aren't really important in that particular setting in that dialogue. But one of the big things that I've observed, much like in general Australia we have a, if you don't if you're on the internet and you don't know about the whole debacle that we have in Australia about what we call a chicken parmigiana... With an abbreviation, <laughs> then you have not really been on the Internet, have you? So if uh, <laughs> you want to start uh, uh, an incredibly, uh, an incredibly nonsensical debate. which is- you,
1: uh, Let me just decide for our American listeners who don't know what a chicken Ch- parmy might be. Um, oh, I I've learned that that's actually very similar to what chicken fried steak is in the U.S
0: there we go translation services um but yes it's it's uh yeah so there's there's the parma versus parmi and then people calling you a bad person if like it's bad it's it's it there's and there's state lines and there's debates and i'm sure every lang every country with any language that differs across their country with regional variations will relate to this but now when it comes to baloney or devon or lunch meat.
1: There are there's there's <laughs> lunch meat.
0: Lunch meat. There's these, and then the Germans. I mean, could could probably introduce something if they really wanted to, but they don't. So depending on where which region you are in, the the term will differ, and it's a it's a popular it's a popular and available food item.
1: Mm, I'll just say that. I never really ate it as a kid. I think I had bologna sandwiches when I was in the U.S., but the reason I know it as Devon is my first job was in a Woolworths deli at the supermarket, yeah. so we sold Devon by the truckload.
0: Yes, yes, because it is uh, cost-wise and taste and feeling-wise, it works for, for what, yeah, it's a, it's a low cost, but it's a thing. But particularly if you go on to, um, and you, every couple of, months or even just once in a while someone will throw it in and there is a joke and they'll make references to the devon baloney baloney bologna, 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 bologna D- debate of uh 2019 and it's just this massive <laughs> it's so funny to watch because it's if they don't if they're not talking like if they're not joking about like that's not the running joke which honestly given the amount of stuff that particularly indigenous people are going through in in this country um you've got to find humor somewhere otherwise you'd just be constantly crying
1: it's also the kind of the joke about how leave it to the internet to become very serious about something completely inconsequential
0: you can tell there's no seriousness. i mean i'm sure maybe someone in there is serious but most people who are there they, they know that it's just a distraction from dealing with heavier and harder topics it's it's like a, it's almost like a, a holiday or a mental break to 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 step away from it and just focus on something very silly in in a humorous way there's nothing like that kind of like it's it's incredibly po- it's poignant humor there's a poignant kind of humor even if it's absurd there's poignancy in it which is um important i don't know i find it helpful it's it's um gathering but so now every time i see Blood <laughs> <laughs> Every time I've been reading the word or hearing the word mm-hmm. Bologna uh, Bologna in the and I'm the Italians are gonna cry at the way that we pronounce this by the way, I'm sure. But Bologna or how, however you pronounce it.
1: Have have I been putting on an Italian accent when I say
0: it? No, you you have not, but I'm just like I don't know how to pronounce it. So I'm like it's Bologna. Bologna. So Bologna or Bologna or Bologna or I don't know Bologna. how. Bologna <laughs> <laughs> I I Googled <laughs> Bologna is a very Australian way of doing it not that we would officially but every time i hear or read the word i can't help but flash back to that debate of the the Devon Devon versus like oh. and even now that's where the, like jokingly people will call themselves um like uh, bud devon like bud quotation marks devon Whatever their their surname is. And and it's just like this ongoing thing that's just this in-joke that never ends. It's great. So, yes. Now, the next debate. Togs versus swimmers. (laughs) I think Australia has a particularly unique... Speedos, Speedos. Budgie smugglers. Yeah. We have a thing about terms that differ regionally and... And, of course, depending on where people have retired, of course, shifts as well.
1: Well, the, the big one I remember from my time in the U.S. is just how regional the different names for soda are yeah. over there. Yeah. Even, no. even the word soda is contentious, depending on where mm. you are in the country.
0: Well, uh, we have a thing. Um, what was the big thing that caused? Ah, uh, here's a weird one. International and regional variations on the game. Paper, scissor, rock.
1: Oh, like yeah. how you say it? For me, it's rock, paper, scissors.
0: Yes. There's rock, paper, scissors. Or wait, this. Or is it rock, scissors, scissors paper? Scissors, rock, paper, rock, if you're really odd. And then there's paper, scissors, rock.
1: I'm trying yeah, to it- think actually how I used to say that because rock, paper, scissors is what I want to default to, but that doesn't sound right because to me, the, the order should be rock, scissors, paper, but that doesn't sound right when I say it.
0: No, no. How you write it, how you say it, also different. We have these wonderful things in language. Language is fascinating, and I know there's studies into this.
1: Well, yeah, there's a linguistics thing I read about. How, um, especially as a native English speaker, we do a lot of our grammar, you know, uh, instinctually. We just learn these rules without ever learning these rules. And one of the more fascinating aspects of that for an English speaker is if we have a sentence with multiple adjectives before a noun let's say yep. you know it's like large smelly green obsequious you know something like that yeah there is there is a grammatically correct order yep. for what type of adjective and what order they should be placed yeah, in can't
0: remember. i think and, it's usually size was it size uh color well the thing is large I've, red door
1: i've never you don't say red
0: large door you don't yeah, say I, it
1: I, I've never, you know, learned this. The only reason I know about this is because I've done some uh, – I took a linguistics course in my last semester yeah. of uni, and I've read a bit about it. But, yeah, just just like, you know, I could write a sentence with 10 adjectives. I wouldn't do that. I'm just using a silly example here. You
0: wouldn't do this unintentionally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> true, true. Yeah, no. Um, I mean – you know, I'm still, I would say, a beginning to intermediate writer. So I have a problem with long run on sentences. Um, <laughs> I, I, I use the comma liberally. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> I grew up part way in Germany. We know how to write a long, never-ending paragraph or page like Well, sentence. the thing
1: I love about German so. is like, wh- why have a sentence with a lot of words when you can just st- make a word out of multiple words? <laughs> <laughs> But 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 yeah, just so. it's uh, to me it's so fascinating how that's just an ingrown instinct to mm. to say the order correct every time <laughs> because if you say it wrong, it doesn't sound right. Oh, and the thing is, it it's so weird because yeah, that idea that it doesn't sound right—that's something all us native English speakers share.
0: Yeah, um, and then it's going to differ again regionally and by family. Well, and yes, that might be to. the
1: case too.
0: Yep, yeah, it's going to differ from family to family. What you're comfortable with, what you're used to, everything is is it's uh, never doubt the interconnectedness and the complexity that is human existence because it is just <laughs> seriously complex. And the, I mean, the, the most it brings us aspect. right back, okay. <laughs> brings us right back to Catch Twenty Two, which does depict the complexity <gasps> very well.
1: Human existence is a Catch Twenty Two. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, we're That's we're uh, we're very um oh, what's the right word? Sorry, I, I really want to get this thought out, so I gotta use the right word. We're very um we're very paradoxical, aren't we? You know that In was many something ways, yes. um and that was something I uh, read a critic uh his name's Tevis Thompson, he's a game critic. And mm-hmm. I discovered him last year. And mm-hmm. He, I think he's a beautiful writer, but his writing is very inflammatory, like uh, like okay. like in terms of. It, I I mean, I, I can see a lot of humanity and self reflection in his writing, but on the surface, it comes out as, "This is what I think," and if you don't agree, you're an idiot. It's not that, mm. but that that that's that that's yeah. the first it's impression. The, it's
0: the vibe, the vibe. But
1: but the, the thing, thing I love know. and the thing I've taken away from his writing. Is And he says this uh, almost word for word. He goes, don't be afraid to be wrong. Don't be afraid to be contradictory in your writing. We are human. We are not perfect. Own who you are. And Mm -hmm. I I, I really respect that. That, Because especially um, writing about games, when a lot of the gaming audience can be very harassing and inflammatory themselves, there is always a fear that, when you got to write something, it's got to be ironclad. You can't give these people ammunition. I, I think all writing is like that. You know, we're, we're scared of putting ourselves on the page because it will be yeah. judged. But but the idea that, so you're wrong. You're writing what's true to you. Don't shy away from that. And if you are wrong and it's pointed out by someone you respect and who says it with respect, you can take yeah. that away.
0: I think there's, there's a danger with that, though, because... I mean, you and I have had conversations elsewhere about the concept of truth and relative and absolute and all the, the deep philosophical debates on truth. I think we shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes, but it doesn't mean that what we say is true. Does that make sense? So that uncertainty principle, like we shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes because making a mistake or saying something that is not accurate and... Trust me, as someone who obsesses over accuracy, this is a hard thing for me to do. The absence of accuracy doesn't make you a bad person. It isn't a judgment on you. It shouldn't be. If you are willing to acknowledge that you, like every human being, are going to make mistakes, and that's okay. It's what you take out of it. And whether you respect the source or are comfortable with how something is made palatable to you in terms of truth or correction or whatever, I mean, even the correction could be incorrect. You don't know. But if you listen to the the thing and you revise and review the way that you perceive what you were expressing, that's how you develop growth. It doesn't mean that every time you hear someone else's input and it differs, you have to change your, your expression. But it means that if you reflect on it and you go, no, actually, I see how that perspective widens or changes the way that I've been addressing this or approaching this or seeing this. And I I see the value in that. And it doesn't, it shouldn't matter where it comes from. It shouldn't matter if you feel the, if the person is rude about it or aggressive or whatever, that's, that's their issue. That's their challenge with communication. I can't control their communication. I can determine whether I will allow myself to be exposed to it again by that person. And I can try and communicate boundaries, but I cannot control how they communicate. I can just step away from it. I can control that. But if they've said something, and even if it's, even if it's said in a way that's not kind or inconsiderate or whatever, and I'm not saying that that's okay and acceptable, that's a whole, that's a different topic. But if I hear something going, well, actually, no, step away from it. Actually, no, I see where they're coming from. I see the point. I can also see why they're angry. I might not be able to take on their anger and whatever, but I can take responsibility for how I contribute to it. And I can work on what I can do work on. Like, you know. You can only work on what you can work on. You can only review and reflect in your own mind as to how you perceive things. And if you make a mistake, just be accountable. Like, going, oh, well, look, someone has taken the time, has prov- provided the following information, and um, I've come back to this, uh, this thought that I had that I expressed this expression that I made, and I, I realized that I need to, like, that there's further information that has come to light that has made me re- review this, revise how I saw this. There's nothing wrong with making mistakes. I think it's the cost and the accountability of mistakes that we need to be more conscious of. That's, that's the main thing. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, so, see, and, and that's why when I say, when someone deliberately writes inflammatory and, and and there's one, that's one thing, when someone is a contrarian, which I, I there's a few people, I'm not going to mention who, but there's a few people in fairly, who, who have some fairly well-established careers just by being contrarians. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if a contrarian actually serves a purpose. I would say a contrarian is limiting purpose and they are applying what could be a considerable intellect, but in a way that is only about self-promotion and placing themselves first.
1: Mm.
0: And that's a problem because that's just all about the ego. It's not not actually about the thing that they're discussing. It means it's all about how they're perceived and seen. Mm. So yeah, and that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I have feelings. <laughs> so I'm not going to disagree with absolutely everything as soon as I hear. It, I'm going to listen. I'm going to think about it. Uh, hence the earwax. I am not. I don't know if if jumping into a cold pool every time is gonna as a kid is going to be what contributed to it. I don't know. It could be the bacteria that live in your ears normally. It could be dietary.
1: That, that's. It could be. That's a lovely thought. I mean, look, look. When we stop and think about, it, we know that we're what, like sixty percent bacteria. I uh, don't
0: even want to think about the number of cells that live on us. We are, yeah. we are outnumbered. We are significantly outnumbered by the people, by by the people, by the the bugs that we host.
1: We, we have billions of symbiotic relationships in our uh, the, on our yeah. person. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, when you stop and think microcosm. about it, it, it is kind of like, <laughs> oh yeah, I I I. I am the culmination of billions of little living things.
0: Someone posted it on Twitter saying, what would be the worst superpower that you could possibly ever have? And one person went, ah, seeing bugs, seeing wherever a bug has ever been. And everyone, everyone was like, oh, God, the world would just be beetles, would just be bugs. And then someone said, now imagine you can see all the beetles, but then you can see all the bacteria and microorganisms in the world. And everyone said... I love how someone piped up and said, You can do that, that's germophobia. <laughs> no.
1: It would be like uh, waving a black light on a CD hotel room.
0: Uh, so much worse. So much worse. Yeah, yeah. So much worse. But yeah, it's it's pretty bad. It's Speaking funny.
1: speaking of black light, how about we get speaking, back to yes, returning uh, back to 20.
0: complexity and to, relationships to. and confusion. Yeah. So Captain Black, eh?
1: Yeah, let's let's find out more about Captain Black, he says enthusiastically.
0: I, I, I want to say it's less that we're getting to know less about the characters and more how these different characters are interacting and intersecting with events. Mm. That's, I think, probably the easier way of approaching this because it's complicated.
1: Chapter 11, Captain Black. Corporal Kolodny learned about it first in a phone call from group and was so shaken by the news that he crossed the intelligence tent on tiptoe to Captain Black, who was resting drowsily with his bladed shins up on the desk and relayed the information to him in a shocked whisper. Captain Black brightened immediately. Bologna, he exclaimed with delight, will all be damned. He broke into loud laughter. Bologna, huh? He laughed again and shook his head in pleasant amazement. Oh boy, I can't wait to see those bastards' faces when they find out they're going to Bologna. Ha ha ha! It was the first really good laugh Captain Black had enjoyed since the day Major Major outsmarted him and was appointed squadron commander, and he rose with torpid enthusiasm and stationed himself behind the first counter in order to wring the most enjoyment from the occasion when the bombardiers arrived for their map kits. That's right, you bastards. Bologna, he kept repeating to all the bombardiers who inquired incredulously if they were really going to Bologna. Ha ha ha. Eat your livers, you bastards. This time you're really in for it. Captain Black followed the last of them outside to observe with relish the effect of the knowledge upon all of the other officers and enlisted men who were assembling with their helmets, parachutes, and flak suits around the four trucks idling in the center of the squadron area. He was a tall, narrow, disconsolate man who moved with a crabby listlessness He shaved his pinched pale face every third or fourth day and most of the time he appeared to be growing a reddish gold mustache over his skinny upper lip. He was not disappointed in the scene outside. There was consternation darkening every expression and Captain Black yawned deliciously, rubbed the last lethargy from his eyes and laughed gloatingly each time he told someone else to eat his liver. Bologna turned out to be the most rewarding event in Captain Black's life since the day Major Duluth was killed over Perugia and he was almost selected to replace him. When word of Major Duluth's death was radioed back to the field, Captain Black responded with a surge of joy. Although he had never really contemplated the possibility before, Captain Black understood at once that he was the logical man to succeed Major Duluth as squadron commander. To begin with, he was the squadron intelligence officer, which meant he was more intelligent than everyone else in the squadron. Because <laughs> 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 uh, that's how that works. Mm-hmm. True, he was not on combat status as Major Duluth had been and as all squadron commanders customarily were, but this was really another powerful argument in his favour since his life was in no danger and he would be able to fill the post for as long as his country needed him. The more Captain Black thought about it, the more inevitable it seemed. It was merely a matter of dropping the right word in the right place quickly he hurried back to his office to determine a course of action. Settling back in his swivel chair, his feet up on the desk and his eyes closed, he began imagining how beautiful everything would be once he was squadron commander. While Captain Black was imagining, Colonel Cathcart was acting, and Captain Black was flabbergasted by the speed with which he concluded Major Major had outsmarted him. His great dismay at the announcement of Major Major's appointment as squadron commander was tinged with an embittered resentment he made no effort to conceal. When fellow administrative officers expressed astonishment at Colonel Cathcart's choice of Major Major, Captain Black muttered that there was something funny going on. When they speculated on the political value of Major Major's resemblance to Henry Fonda, Captain Black asserted that Major Major really was Henry Fonda, and when they remarked that Major Major was somewhat odd, Captain Black announced that he was a communist. They're taking over everything, he declared rebelliously. Well, you fellows can stand around and let them if you want to, but I'm not going to. I'm going to do something about it. From now on I'm going to make every son of a bitch who comes to my intelligence tent sign a loyalty oath, and I'm not going to let that bastard Major Major sign one even if he wants to. Almost overnight the glorious loyalty oath crusade was in full flower, and Captain Black was enraptured to discover himself spearheading it. He had really hit on something. All the enlisted men and officers on combat duty had to sign a loyalty oath to get their map cases from the intelligence tent a second loyalty oath to receive their flax suits and parachutes from the parachute tent, a third loyalty oath for Lt. Bulkington, the motor vehicle officer, to be allowed to ride from the squadron to the airfield in one of the trucks. Every time they turned around there was another loyalty oath to be signed. They signed a loyalty oath to get their pay from the finance officer, to obtain their PX supplies, to have their hair cut by the Italian barbers. The Captain Black, every officer who supported his glorious loyalty oath crusade was a competitor, and he planned and plotted 24 hours a day to keep one step ahead. He would stand second to none in his devotion to country. When other officers had followed his urging and introduced loyalty oaths of their own, he went them one better by making every son of a bitch who came to his intelligence tent sign two loyalty oaths, then three, then four. Then he introduced the Pledge of Allegiance, and after that, the Star Spangled Banner. One course, two courses, three courses, four courses. Each time Captain Black forged ahead of his competitors, he swung upon them scornfully for their failure to follow his example. Each time they followed his example, he retreated with concern and racked his brain for some new stratagem that would enable him to turn upon them scornfully again. He's
0: not quite. Yeah, wow, uh, a, a nasty
1: human being.
0: Well, not only that, I don't think he is allowed to ask for loyalty oaths to be signed. That's not legally.
1: No, but you yeah. know, it, it's it's a thing I read a lot about today as well. You know, the um, in the US, all the schools still do the Pledge of Allegiance. They're legally. Wasn't the
0: Pledge of Allegiance a, a campaign to sell more flags?
1: I don't know the history of it, but I know it's. Fairly recent 20th century, like 50s or 60s. It's not a thing.
0: It's not actually anything to do with the Constitution. It has nothing to do with anything. It literally has to do with, we want to sell more flags because war efforts.
1: And I've always thought it pretty seedy in a supposed land of the free with freedom of speech. You have children pledge allegiance every morning.
0: Well, you know, there's there's a few other countries that have similar things, like the Pledge of Allegiance. One of which is North Korea. But yes, so maybe not.
1: Yeah. What I'm saying is, Captain Black uh, fe- feel, feels feels very real to me.
0: <laughs> yes, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> uh,
1: without realizing how it had come about, the combat men in the squadron discovered themselves dominated by the administrators appointed to serve them. They were bullied, insulted, harassed and shoved about all day long by one after the other. When they voiced objection, Captain Black replied that people who were loyal would not mind signing all the loyalty oaths they had to. To anyone who questioned the effectiveness of the loyalty oaths, he replied that people who really did owe allegiance to their country would be proud to pledge it as often as he forced them to. And to anyone who questioned the morality, He replied that the Star Spangled Banner was the greatest piece of music ever composed. The more loyalty oaths a person signed, the more loyal he was. To Captain Black it was as simple as that, and he had Kerpel Colidney sign hundreds with his name each day so that he could always prove he was more loyal than anyone else. The important thing is to keep them pledging, he explained to his cohorts. It doesn't matter whether they mean it or not. That's why they make little kids pledge allegiance, even before they know what pledge and allegiance mean. Hey, we, we mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, to Captain Pilchard and Captain Wren, the Glorious Loyalty Oath Crusade was a glorious pain on the ass, since it complicated their task of organizing the crews for each combat mission. Men were tied up over all the squadron signing, pledging, and singing, and the missions took hours longer to get underway. Effective emergency action became impossible, but Captain Pilchard and Captain Wren were both too timid to raise any outcry against Captain Black, who scrupulously enforced each day the doctrine of continual reaffirmation that he had originated, a doctrine designed to trap all these men who had become disloyal since the last time they had signed a loyalty oath the day before. Yeah. It was Captain Black who came with advice to Captain Pilchard and Captain Wren as they pitched about in their bewildering predicament. He came with a delegation and advised them bluntly to make each man sign a loyalty oath before allowing him to fly on a combat mission. Of course, it's up to you, Captain Black pointed out. Nobody's trying to pressure you, but everyone else is making them sign loyalty oaths, and it's going to look mighty funny to the FBI if you two are the only ones who don't care enough about your country to make them sign loyalty oaths too. If you want to get a bad reputation, that's nobody's business but your own. All we're trying to do is help." Milo was not convinced and absolutely refused to deprive Major Major of food, even if Major Major was a communist, which Milo secretly doubted. Milo was by nature opposed to any innovation that threatened to disrupt the normal course of affairs. Milo took a firm moral stand and absolutely refused to participate in the Glorious Loyalty Oath Crusade until Captain Black called upon him with his delegation and requested him to. National defense is everybody's job, Captain Black replied to Milo's objection. And this whole program is voluntary, Milo. Don't forget that. The men don't have to sign Pilchard and Wren's loyalty oath if they don't want to, but we need you to starve them to death if they don't. It's just like Catch-22, don't you get it? You're not against Catch 22, are you? Dr. Nika was adamant. What makes you so sure Major Major is a communist? You never heard him denying it until we began accusing him, did you? And you don't see him signing any of our loyalty oaths. You aren't letting him sign any? Of course not, Captain Black explained. That would defeat the whole purpose of our crusade. Look, you don't have to play ball with us if you don't want to, but what's the point of the rest of us working so hard if you're going to give major major medical attention the minute Milo begins starving him to death? I just wonder what they're going to think up a group about the man who's undermining our whole security program. They'll probably transfer you to the Pacific." Dr. Nika surrendered swiftly. I'll go tell Gus and West to do whatever you want them to. Up at group, Colonel Cathcart had already begun wondering what was going on. "'It's that idiot Black off on a patriotism binge,' Colonel Corn reported with a smile. "'I think you'd better play ball with him for a while, since you're the one who promoted Major Major to Squadron Commander.' "'That was your idea,' Colonel Cathcart accused him petulantly. "'I never should have let you talk me into it.' "'And a very good idea it was, too,' retorted Colonel Corn since it eliminated that superfluous Major that's been giving you such an awful black eye as an administrator. Don't worry, this will probably run its course soon. The best thing to do now is send Captain Black a letter of total support and hope he drops dead before he does too much damage." Colonel Korn was struck with a whimsical thought. I wonder. You don't suppose that imbecile will try to turn Major Major out of his trailer, do you? The next thing we've got to do is turn that bastard Major Major out of his trailer. Captain Black decided. I'd like to turn his wife and kids out into the woods too, but we can't. He has no wife and kids, so we'll just have to make do with what we have and turn him out. Who's in charge of the tents? He is. You see, cried Captain Black, they're taking over everything. Well, I'm not going to stand for it. I'll take this matter right to Major DeCoverly himself if I have to. I'll have Milo speak to him about it the minute he gets back from Rome. Captain Black had boundless faith in the wisdom, power, and justice of Major De Coverly, even though he had never spoken to him before, and still found himself without the courage to do so. He deputized Milo to speak to Major De Coverley for him and stormed about impatiently as he waited for the tall executive officer to return. Along with everyone else in the squadron, he lived in profound awe and reverence of the majestic, white-haired Major with craggy face and Jehovian bearing who came back from Rome finally with an injured eye inside a new celluloid eye patch and smashed his whole glorious crusade to bits with a single stroke. Milo carefully said nothing when Major de Coverley stepped into the mess hall with his fierce and austere dignity the day he returned and found his way blocked by a wall of officers waiting in line to sign loyalty oaths. At the far end of the food counter, a group of men who had arrived earlier were pledging allegiance to the flag with trays of food balanced in one hand in order to be allowed to take seats at the table. Already at the tables, a group that had arrived still earlier was singing the Star Spangled Banner in order that they might use the salt and pepper and ketchup there. The hubbub began to subside slowly as Major de Coverley paused in the doorway with a frown of puzzled disapproval, as though viewing something bizarre. He started forward in a straight line, and the wall of officers before him parted like the Red Sea. Glancing neither left nor right, he strode indomitably up to the steam counter, and in a clear, full-bodied voice that was gruff with age and resonant with ancient eminence and authority said, "'Gimme eat!' Instead of eat, Corporal Snark gave Major de Coverley a loyalty oath to sign, Major Coverley swept it away with mighty displeasure the moment he recognized what it was, his good eye flaring up blindingly with fiery disdain, and his enormous old corrugated face darkening in mountainous wrath. "'Gimme eat,' I said, he ordered loudly in harsh tones that rumbled ominously through the silent tent like claps of distant thunder. Corporal Snark turned pale and began to tremble. He glanced towards Milo pleadingly for guidance. For several terrible seconds there was not a sound. Then Milo nodded. Give him eat, he said. Corporal Snark began giving Major De Coverley eat. Major De Coverley turned from the counter with his tray full and came to a stop. His eyes fell on the groups of other officers gazing at him in mute appeal, and with righteous belligerence he roared, Give everybody eat! Give everybody eat! Milo echoed with joyful relief, and the glorious loyalty oath crusade came to an end. Captain Black was deeply disillusioned by this treacherous stab in the back from someone in high place upon whom he had relied so confidently for support. Major De Coverley had let him down. Oh, it doesn't bother me a bit, he responded cheerfully to everyone who came to him with sympathy. We completed our task. Our purpose was to make everyone we don't like afraid and to alert people to the danger of Major Major, and we certainly succeeded at that. Since we weren't going to let him sign loyalty oaths anyway, it doesn't really matter whether we have them or not. Seeing everyone in the squadron he didn't like afraid once again throughout the appalling, interminable Great Big Siege of Bologna reminded Captain Black nostalgically of the good old days of his glorious loyalty oath crusade when he had been a man of real consequence, and when even big shots like Milo Minderbinder, Doc Nika, and Pilchard and Wren had trembled at his approach and groveled at his feet. To prove to newcomers that he really had been a man of consequence once, he still had the letter of commendation he had received from Colonel Cathcart.
0: Oh God.
1: Oh boy. Jeez! <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, He's something.
1: And wasn't there a thing in chapters ago how Yusarian refused to sign loyalty oaths?
0: Yes. And I think he also ended up in the hospital, but I don't know whether that was a before or after.
1: I was Major hoping
0: Cavali is um Gimme Eat <laughs> I can't remember his background.
1: Anything I don't was he the one who um uh, what Doesn't was he have it a the horseshoe ho- ho- Yeah, the yeah. horseshoes. Was he the horseshoe guy?
0: Yeah, he's Horseshoe Guy, I think. He's also, he was really, um, everyone basically just, yeah.
1: He, he, he wasn't putting up with the nonsense. Also, um, I'll just say for our listeners, those who aren't following any along in the book, Major DeCoverly's name is always confusing when written because it's Major hyphen space DeCoverly.
0: I'm wondering if it's it's Major, I wonder if it's meant to have like swear words in it or something.
1: Or like the the first time I read it out which was in chapter 1 or 2 I deleted it from our podcast but Rue said maybe there's a pause there like he, he's remembering what the major's name is and I did that that once but it did, as, as his name appeared more and more it didn't feel like that yeah. was something to do
0: it's confusing with this like I'm trying to find out if the why there's a the dash dash
1: Oh, and also, um, I'll, I'll say this as well: the glorious loyalty oath crusade. Every every uh, word in that sentence or phrase is capitalized, like it was a hmm. big thing.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a blank. There's a blank. That's all I've got.
1: But he seems to be well respected by everyone. He doesn't take BS.
0: He seems Man. very very tough.
1: You know what's even weirder? So actually no because this came out in the 60s right this this book was like early 60s so yeah. I wonder if um, the McCarthy era era of uh that that American boondoggle if that had already happened when um uh, Heller was writing this because that that reminds me of McCarthyism
0: well I think we're gonna get to know well yeah it is the preamble for all that it was all that um I think we're going to um yeah it's definitely it's this is a stab at McCarthyism, for sure. I I think we're gonna because we haven't had a chapter for Major, Blank to coverly yet, so um, in the future
1: the, the next chapter is called Bologna. So maybe we'll. Cause, oh, the great thing about this chapter it really was all about Captain Black.
0: I know, unusually enough, and well, it was ca- how Captain Black contributed to the problems.
1: Well, just how gleeful he is about the the. Bologna mission
0: yeah and it's because it's a flashback to when he can cause fear and constr- consternation yeah. milo in the meantime like milo refuses until he gets told it's like
1: well dr nico was a bit like that too he's like this is ridiculous well we can make life very difficult for you yeah ah,
0: well danica got told like if there's any medical issues i'm gonna to want to be the one that deals is so, like well i'm sure there's medical issues somewhere else we could send you to like okay yeah, there's all sorts of just, uh, and then I love how Black uh, Captain Black's like, "Oh, I'm the natural person to be the squadron leader, even though I don't have the qualifications that all squadron leaders have had before me and continue to have." Mm-hmm. And I need to go and drop my drop uh, the right word in the right ear. So I'm going to go into my office and just lay back and think about doing that. Hey, why did someone else get appointed? I'm like, really?
1: Yeah, he's um he he's a bit too high on his own supply as the saying is
0: Yeah. Seems very um an interesting person. Very interesting person.
1: Well he, like like he's definitely got a lot of self confidence. I don't think he's got the skill or intellect to back up that confidence. But no. actually that may not be the case because he was definitely able to gain power and control over people with a silly little idea
0: Mm -mm. he's yeah well he controlled them all because they want to eat they want shelter
1: but it was mostly the fear the idea that if you're not pledging loyalty something's wrong with you and we're going to come after you
0: Mm. it's terrible he's terrible his uh
1: and, of course, because it's the style of this book, that, that idea was taken to a farcical extreme when Major yes, Dekovely opens the mess tent. And, you know, you've got you've got one batch signing papers. You've got the other batch holding their trays with one hand saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And then you got a third batch up next to the salt, pepper, and ketchup singing the Star-Spangled Banner so they can get their condiments. The whole
0: thing was like... And I love how the the, the guys who are d- trying to deploy them, like, we need them to be mobile and you mm-hmm. are causing, oh, I know, make them sign something for you. <laughs> <laughs> how did this improve things? But yes, I, I love how Major Decouple is just like, what the nonsense is this? I want to well, know, I can't remember why he injured his arm.
1: I don't think that's uh, come up yet, but... It- he. It's like this is the first time he's appeared with the eye patch.
0: So we're we're gonna which if they're already intimidated by him, him having an eye patch would be even more intimidating. Mm. It's like, oh my god, it's a pirate. <laughs> so yeah, I'm fascinated and I want to know what happened because Bologna is is is.
1: It seems almost like the the, the climax or focal point of the book, even though we've just gotten hints about it, which I is weird think, that the Bologna yeah. chapter is uh, this early.
0: Well. This is, come on, we know that the sequence in terms of order is not going to make any sense whatsoever. And, and we far.
1: know this chapter is not going to tell us near the full story of Below. No, no,
0: no, no,
1: no, I'm trying to think. I,
0: uh, we still don't know what happened entirely with Like, the Usarian is involved with Soap so Runs, that's, that's all we know.
1: But we don't. Or, know which or, else. I, I was so waiting for a, a confrontation between Yussarian and Captain Black that would have been amazing.
0: I like that they didn't. They didn't even have that because they already mentioned him having difficult their, their interactions being difficult in early when they were talking about other people. So that's already been covered. It's like oh, Yesarian, just no, just
1: no. But, but 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 so here's the thing. I like Yossarian's, uh personality crashing up against the rocks of people I don't like back when i did not have sympathy for clevenger i loved the conversations between him and ysarian where ysarian would exasperate him with his point of view yeah,
0: yeah now yeah. now
1: i look back on that and i'm going oh, poor clevenger <laughs> it's like but but in the to- in, in the midst yeah. of it it was like yeah you give this guy what for ysarian
0: <laughs> poor clevenger but yes it's um, it, i mean it's a good novel if it's making you think and feel sympathy for a character that you previously didn't have sympathy for but yes, it's, it's fascinating oh. I want to know more about Major DeCoverley That's the main person here that I care about Milo is yeah. just a wishy-washy pen
1: He's he's mysterious
0: Well, it's, it's fascinating Just the effect he has And anything that causes headache for Captain Black Is going to make me happy So,
1: I'm, I was going to say as well like I wonder if the book's going to make me feel Sympathy for Captain Black at some point Because that would be mm. a feat
0: It's fascinating It would be fascinating but yes, I'm. I'm curious to see. And so, next next chapter or next episode is going to be Bologna, or so Devon. Ho
1: ho ho
0: ho ho Or Devon. <laughs> Speaking of Devon, no, no, that's. I mean, the fact the fact that both Devon and Bologna would have been critical positions in war <laughs> is not lost on me. As a strange, twisted irony.
1: I, I'm trying not to think about it, Tim.
0: <laughs> I don't I don't understand how this connects with sausage. Like, it's very confusing.
1: Well, meat grinder.
0: Maybe. Oh, that's terrible. No, no, Dave. No, no, no.
1: That, that's what war is. You put never, young men no, in. No, it's
0: terrible. No, no. Humans are humans. Let's let's not think of humans that way. Sorry, I'm just remembering in, in Brave New World and, and the... For lack of a better word, the recycling,
1: Uh, the incinerarium, or whatever it was called. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So I was anything that the anything that's like dehumanizing, that's dehumanizing, and specifically dehumanizing around death. It's one of those things that will always make me go, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, Anna. yeah. A- actually, that that was a point of a lot of conflict in that novel was about how they treated the dead. That's what finally sent John over the edge.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing, like it, it's one of those things that my head I can't reconcile that approach. I, I see and I understand that people have those kind of attitudes and approaches, but it's just so it just so it's alien to me, guys. It's alien to me.
1: Yeah, the um I don't know if you've seen it yourself, but the horror film *Midsummer* has a similar idea in it.
0: I nope. Nope. Not yet, nope. I I I pretty much I think it's one horror generally is not a genre I will Seek. Mm, I understand. Thrillers only occasionally, very rarely, but horror, no, 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 no. What about in um,
1: in novel form?
0: Even in novel form, I'm very mm, no. I like things that challenge, things that are uplifting and challenging, and but I I don't like um, I guess. I mean, there, there's there's fantasy horror, which is slightly different, or like kind of crime kind of thing but anything that that treats human life as as kind of an and the the loss of human life as a form of entertainment it's not i know that's not what horror is and i apologize but that's what it it's involved there's an element of it in there Hmm. where it's like that fear of death and fear fear of harm and, and being hurt and loss and grief and then using that almost as a form of entertainment i know it's cautionary tales and the ideas to to and i'm a lot of people go why take it so seriously but no that's where why i think it This i have that connection in my head and it just doesn't work for me
1: you, you so. know maybe a more recommendation for you um i read a horror novel a couple of years ago because it, it made like the best of the you know the goodreads best of year thing. Mm-hmm. i think it was called into the drowning deep um and basically it was the idea that mermaids are real and they're mm-hmm. hideous monster predators and uh uh like a um, a science vessel gets lost, so they sign- send out another expedition to go see what happened, mm. and it's it's kind of like it, it's one of those um, you know, like the movie Alien, where oh damn, we're we're in an enclosed space and there's monsters.
0: Yeah, see, that's different to me because I know it's it's fictitious. It's not, it's not that, but for example, horror, like um, I guess uh, the ghost of. Uh, Again, horror—that's almost these people are doing things that are bad for the environment, and nature is getting its own back, kind of thing. Like, I could—there's, there's a certain border where it's okay, and then this border where I just go, this is, the whole purpose of this is is just
1: oh, gruesomeness,
0: like, grizzliness, like yeah,
1: like um, I guess a more extreme version—the Saw movies, but even maybe like yeah, how no, they, I, like, um, I,
0: I won't like I won't watch Saw movies. Like like,
1: how uh, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, those sequels were mainly about the delight in creative kills.
0: Yes. That kind of thing will never, ever... Like, I'm not appealed to by that. Yeah. Um, Whereas anything that's... Like, if there's something like a caution... Like, Alien, I could get away with because Alien was a... There's a science fiction element, which I'm okay with. But also there's the element of this was... There was caution that was disregarded. There was... There was a dismissing of the importance. There was silencing of of concerns when people were raising concerns, and that's like that's. A, I guess those are qualities that we should actually not. I understand the purpose of horror in those settings because the whole idea is to make you think like we should take we should take into consideration different aspects. And I'm, I'm overthinking this potentially, but it feels like there's a purpose to that. Even though hmm. I mean, some it's just it's most of it is just.
1: It, it, it's ba- not, ba- basically but... like like most stories. You you want more thematic or subtextual information.
0: Yeah. The, in your well, genre. there has to be a point. There has to be a point. It, it's it's not me, just
1: the joy of um the the genre itself.
0: Yeah, I don't find. Yeah, I I need there the, to be a point. Otherwise, I don't. I get in like frustrated or annoyed, and I'm going like, why am I wasting my time reading this? Like, kind of. I don't like you're describing something that's really gruesome in extreme detail, and I'm going. You know what? I've, I've done anatomy labs. I've been there with bodies. Like you, this is not helpful or in any way. Often also not accurate. <laughs> it's mm. not not something that appeals to me. Mm. Like there's a, a I guess the grotesque fascination with death in it, as a, as an entertainment that bugs me, whereas death is within the meaning of a story or a purpose or something that's a bit different.
1: Mm.
0: But yeah. Anyway, so deep, deep in philosophical uh, discussion. Well, well
1: and it's also prescient because you know this is a book about war, which is war yeah. is senseless death.
0: Yes, and the, but the difference is that, for example, the way that, if this was a book that was about war and senseless death, but was glorifying senselessness like the that the, hey well let the death is death let's like, or you know, that's...
1: or the, the the kind of uh the modern american uh military movie where it's more awesome go us. yes
0: whereas i'm and that would frustrate me to tears like i wouldn't mm. be able to w- continue because it's just it would be upsetting on many many levels because the suffering that these things cause. like no yeah no so yes Anything that kind of glorifies the harm of others is never going to be something that appeals. Mm. But yeah.
1: So the uh, music at the top of the podcast is Soap Runs by Rupert Gregson Williams and Harry Gregson Williams. I always want to say Henry for some reason. Um, that Henry is... Ford.
0: Sorry. Major, 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 major.
1: <laughs> Henry Fonda.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, same too. <laughs> Um, in four we trust wait no now mixing books (laughs) yes
1: that will happen Um, and it was from the 2019 adaptation of catch 22 the music at the end of our podcast is I'm the sign by Frank Zappa you can find me over on twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip Mm,
0: and you can find me at Rue McMoo that's R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O that's right yes Rue McMoo, and that's on Twitter. And you can find our podcast at SMBSLT Podcast. That's SMBSLT Podcast, both on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you add at gmail.com, you get our email address. We have, uh, hopefully, most of the hiccups are sorted. If you uh, listen through Google or Spotify, or hopefully even Apple, everything should be smoothed out and working. Thanks to the good folks at Anchor for stepping in, and Google and Apple actually really being on top of things really swiftly. Also, appreciation for the past, uh, you know, hosting on Wushka for their um, their assistance through this process. We'll say that we are not sponsored, and therefore none of those were sponsored things. They just may be helpful for you if you are considering setting up a podcast to to consider options and
1: and every one of those uh companies was responsible for us to continue to do this so that's why yeah. we're appreciative
0: yeah you can, you can be appreciative it's one does not need to was it uh non the this whole new craze of uh nft was it i don't know what it is
1: oh don't get the, me started yeah
0: don't get me started i'm not, <laughs> my brother was talking about it, i'm like glazing over <laughs>
1: like, oh, it's, it's I, so no terrible. i don't understand.
0: Ev- not everything has to be monetized not everything is about making money calm your farm but i mean if that's going to be your life that's your life but, but whatever it's not my priority oh, it's
1: just so destructive as well but anyway yeah. <laughs> we said we didn't want to get started so until next week uh enjoy your reading folks Hey, support your local libraries and bookstores. I've gone back into my local library, and it's wonderful. I'm so appreciative of them. You you should give your uh, local libraries patronage, also because I bet through the last year, a lot of them have been hurting.
0: Well, that or they've been their online online loans have been
1: going through the roof. There's that too,
0: and and yes, your local libraries often do have online options that you can borrow audiobooks or even movies or whatever um, Mm -hmm. via uh, the library that you might not have access to otherwise legally so yes it's great
1: so until next time enjoy your reading stay safe and we'll see you uh, next time for Bologna.